passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we are live, everybody. Welcome to the Post Wrestling Post Office. We are here at the Post Office following the WWE's Super Showdown, an event that was guaranteed to equal or exceed WrestleMania. They never announced at the end of the night what the tally was. What was the point total that this event scored with people? So that is why we are here. Uh, And maybe throughout the night when we get phone calls, we will get an assigned grade for this show. But how are you doing, Way? I'm doing okay. That reminds me, actually. I got to put a a feedback thread in the cafe. So Okay. Well, we have lots to discuss on the show. We're going to do a run-through of this event from from Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. And then later on in the show, we are going to be joined by uh, two uh, great guests that I'm looking forward to speaking with. Uh, first, we will be talking with Will Cooling. He's the host of the British Wrestling Report over at PWTorch.com. And you also know of his writing from Fighting Spirit Magazine. And no stranger to those listeners of the British Wrestling Experience here on our website. From there, we're going to be chatting with uh, Kareem Zidane, who's a journalist at Bloody Elbow, uh, among several outlets. And to me, he has been uh, one, of, one of the foremost authorities when it comes to the intersection of combat sports and politics. And I thought this kind of a show that we're doing today, uh, no better time to have uh, Kareem on. So we will be chatting with him uh, over the next uh, hour or so. And then opening up the phone lines to you as well. We want to hear your thoughts. And it doesn't have to be limited to your thoughts on the show. This is not a traditional uh, wrestling pay-per-view post show where we're looking for uh, best match, worst match. But if you want to discuss um, the event itself, um, your feelings on it, pro, con, uh, indifferent, you can give us a call, 732-800-4423. And if you want to look up Post Wrestling on Skype, you can also Skype in and save yourself any any charge. Call in free. That's right, yeah. And uh, I want to give a special shout-out to everybody in the chat room right now. Thank you all for joining us. Um, yeah, we, we are live on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Post Wrestling, a channel that everyone should be subscribed to uh, for shows like this. Mm-hmm. So way going into this show, it was one o'clock in the afternoon, and as you sat down for what was going to be uh, close to five hours of uh, WWE content, uh, where where was your headspace at on this beautiful day in Toronto, where uh, I found myself sitting in this room for five hours with a ray of sunlight just coming through, telling me there will be no going outside this entire afternoon and into the evening. Well, for me, it was more closer to four because I was not even aware about the uh, kickoff start time. So um, I did not catch the kickoff, unfortunately. That's too bad because you missed um, a huge, huge, uh, a huge piece of uh, WWE history. It's kind of what it's, it's kind of what I figured, but um, I, I was not looking forward to it. You know, not looking forward to sitting down and watching the show. Um, found found myself feeling pretty much the same way as I was going through it. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a show that. Uh, 
I don't think this is a show that people really get amped up for, um, but maybe we're going to hear from some other people that completely divorce the the politics and the the real issues that come with uh, this show, this deal, this 10-year deal that they are involved with, and simply just uh, watch a bad wrestling show. Maybe there are some people who are able to do that. Maybe people liked it, so call in and let us know. I would love to hear people uh, that love this show. Yeah. So the kickoff featured uh, Charlie Caruso, David Otunga, and Beth Phoenix uh, doing the kickoff from Stamford, Connecticut. They were not flown over. Uh, I guess we should start actually before that, because as we had talked about on the Cafe Hangout and as had been reported this week was Natalia and Alexa Bliss being flown over there uh, with the the hope, it appeared, that they would have some presence on the show, if not an outright match. And about an hour or so before they went live with the kickoff show, uh, Dave Meltzer was the one who reported that the Saudi Arabian government had turned down the request to have their match and... Uh, there wasn't even like a silver lining that they had some announcement that the next time we come back, there will be this women's match. There was no Natalia or Alexa Bliss on the show, and it just went unmentioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, an interesting late development, I would say, uh, getting into the show. And I think at this point, if it was even under consideration, perhaps, you know, the feeling is that if not this show, then maybe sometime in the near future, this may be a possibility. Yeah. So by the end of it, they... They may have felt like Brock Lesnar of, uh, why did we get on an airplane for this? Well, they did do like some... They did do a lot of um, press. Uh, they were meeting with, with some uh, stuff. children at yes. uh, a local hospital. So they, they were doing events in and around um, mm-hmm. the city. So the kickoff, um, it featured some tape promos. Uh, Paul Heyman did one trying as best as Paul Heyman could to explain why Brock Lesnar didn't cash in on Monday. His rationale was that was revenge for what Seth Rollins did to him at WrestleMania. So Seth has now paid the price for WrestleMania, and now he is going to pay a second price on the show. So this is the second price to be paid. And Lesnar will cash in the briefcase and take the title from Seth Rollins. So consider it a guarantee. Uh, Seth was interviewed. He had his ribs all taped up, and they were just kind of setting the scene for the show. And then we had tape promos from the likes of Ricochet, Bobby Roode, Heavy Machinery, and Rusev, all explaining why they were going to be winning the Battle Royal later on tonight. And with about 15 minutes left in the kickoff, they threw to uh, to Jeddah, where Michael Cole was ringside with Renee Young and Corey Graves. And they mentioned off the top, and this would be uh, mentioned many, many times throughout the night, just how hot it was in this stadium. They said it was currently 94 degrees out, but inside it felt like 101, I think was the number. And then we even had a, a graphical temperature update throughout the night of the temperature outside and then the real feel yeah is that is that a technical term real feel maybe that's maybe uh, maybe that's the uh the meteorologist term but maybe they should incorporate this for all shows certainly became a talking point uh or at least a point of advertisement throughout I, i can't i can't imagine these announcers who are out there in suits and well, even fans like it's 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 got to be incredibly oh calling this show for five hours and yeah. they must they were basically saying like they were absolutely just Corey graves was saying i have no saliva left in me uh so they had the kickoff show actually michael cole made a joke that uh you know guys we should have pat mcafee calling this show he could be out here in his shorts oh. <laughs> and right. uh uh i think renee made a joke about oh yes he'd be uh he wouldn't get in trouble for that 
The Usos and The Revival was our lone kickoff match, and The Revival double-teamed Jimmy Uso, uh, had the heat for a bit, literally and figuratively, and then Jay received the hot tag, hit a running hip attack to Dawson in the corner, and Michael Cole noted that this is a crucial matchup because all the tag teams are jockeying for position to face Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder, who are uh, hanging out on main event most weeks. Jay then used an inside cradle, but Wilder was distracting the referee. This led to Dawson getting up, hitting a spine buster, but the Usos returned, double team both with double super kicks, ending with Jimmy pinning Dash Wilder, seven minutes and 10 seconds. And this was actually one of the more heated matches on the show uh, that the crowd got into, especially the Usos chanting along and I think just being excited by the first match. And I thought it was like, "Ah, that was a fine kickoff match. By the end of the show, uh, this was one of the best matches on the show, Mm. which wasn't saying a whole lot. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I at least found notable just looking at the the crowd that um the royal family or some of the i guess the the elite weren't necessarily seated in front of the uh hard camera they were seated no not like the greatest royal rumble or crown jewel oh they they were were both yeah yeah they were seated on the hard camera side yeah this they also had a number of aerial shots and i mean there were like big empty sections in this stadium like it was hardly full um not that this show is really designed as like a live gate uh, that they're they're after. So the main show began with a, an enormous pyro display for Seth Rollins and his entrance coming out. And they started off with Rollins and Baron Corbin. Uh, Rollins had some updated gear, which looked really nice. I mean, there were... It was uh, like an Avengers. Yeah. I don't think anyone is going to be looking at the, the quality of this show. But in terms of the... Uh, production elements and you know some guys with you know like Rollins with his gear like that is where you got the Wrestlemania comparisons because some of these entrances were uh, bigger than anything you'd see at Wrestlemania that's where I feel like they that's probably what they mean by equal to or greater than is the we're gonna spend a lot of money the budget on pyro we had pyro we had fireworks I mean there was there was no expense spared for the introductions for several of the key stars. Mm -hmm. So the match featured Corbin uh, attacking Rollins in the ribs. He was clutching them, fighting back, and Corbin gets sent to the floor and then is hit with two suicide dives. And on the third attempt, he gets stopped by Corbin, who then goes back to the ribs. He spun him off the shoulders, landing on the ribs, on on the canvas, kicked out of the deep six, and then Baron Corbin gets frustrated, grabbed the chair, and as the referee is yelling at him, he tosses the chair to the floor and he starts yelling at the referee who takes a deep breath and then screams at Corbin who backs up into a roll up by Rollins who pins him in 11 minutes and 13 seconds. So Rollins retains the universal title. Yes. While Baron Corbin is somewhat protected because they need to build up to another rematch between the two. Yeah. It was the idea here that the, the referee cost him the match by yelling at him, distracting him, leading to the roll up fluke finish. And then afterwards, Corbin attacked Rollins with the end of days, and Brock comes out with Paul Heyman, who is holding the briefcase, and Lesnar is carrying a chair. So Lesnar gets into the ring, and Heyman goes to enter the ring and trips on the rope, stumbles, and the briefcase falls. And this allows Rollins to get the advantage because Lesnar is temporarily distracted, and Rollins hits him with a low blow and attacks Lesnar with chair shot after chair shot. Uh, Lesnar's elbow looked like a mess after this, and it ended with Rollins curb stomping Lesnar's head onto the briefcase, and Rollins defends um, the the attack. The cash-in never occurs, and Lesnar just staggers to the back with the briefcase, and everyone at the end of this assumed 
he's coming back for Kofi's title. But this was the only uh, appearance by Brock Lesnar. He never had a match on the show. They didn't do the cash-in. And I, I thought this guy came across like, what an idiot on Monday. Brock did. Yeah. Sure, of course, yeah. But you know the game here, right? They're just going to They're going to milk this thing for as long as... As long as they want, I guess. Mm-hmm. As long as they can. And, you know, I wonder if it worked or not. I, w- I want to know what this guy earned to go on this trip uh, to do this. I uh, mean, he did take a lot of these chair shots, so yeah. I guess he, he took some damage here. Uh, I thought Corbin and Rollins did, did a decent job. You know, it was a serviceable match for a, a WWE pay-per-view focusing on the ribs. Yeah, it was a match. Serviceable is what I would describe it, which I expect more out of a Seth Rollins title match, but it was serviceable. It was like, it was there, and it was like inoffensive. We'll see it again. We're going to probably see this many, many times. The whole card you'll probably see again. Like, it felt like this was largely the fumes of this card will just bleed right into stomping grounds. Mm-hmm. Finn Balor and Andrade for the Intercontinental title was next. Balor came out dressed as the demon, and then we had miniature demons on stage with him, and Andrade came out. Uh, Accompanied by the invisible Vega. Yeah, she yeah. was not there. Maybe he could have came out with Savio instead. Wow. Balor sent Andrade to the floor and connected with a Topicon hero. And then in the ring, he hit the reverse 1916 Bloody Sunday. Andrade kicked out of that. And this is when we got like the start that there was a lot of matches structured around near falls. Some worked, but a lot didn't. And this was the first one that um, just seemed like the audience... They really were kind of reserved after the the opening, I would say two matches, because the kickoff they were into and the match with Rollins, they were largely into as well. Yeah. With, with the Brock beatdown afterwards. Um, Andrade hit his spinning elbow, tried his double moonsault, landing on Balor's knees on the final rotation. And then Balor blocked the sunset bomb, hit a double foot stomp onto the back. And then Andrade hit the hammerlock DDT. Balor kicked out from that, uh, which again, didn't get a huge response. Um, there was a very light, this is awesome chant that didn't stick around too long. And then they fought on the top turnbuckle and Balor hit a top rope DDT followed by the coup de grace and pinned Andrade in 11 minutes, 25 seconds. I thought these two had a good match, you know, but for some reason, I I just feel like the the audience didn't react that much to Finn Balor, especially as the demon, which you would expect a a bigger reaction for. Maybe, you know, I, I maybe just kind of chalk it up to the lack of story here, or maybe it's just the lack of star power. This seemed very much more like a crowd that was cheering for your long entrances and nostalgic figures, long time superstars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've seen these two have better, but I thought that they, they came in with like an ambitious idea. I feel like that top rope DDT spot got into portions of the match. They got into Balor's entrance, but like parts of this match, I just, it was really like it was it. a it was a low energy crowd, and that would be kind of the story of this show for the majority of what is to come. So I'll say, like coming out of this, I just I, the demon really does not feel all that special, you know. And I wonder how much better this would have played even even in a North American audience. The demon really has very little reason to be the demon right now. All we know is just he, he's Finn Balor with his tongue sticking out and some face paint. Yeah, and I think they expected that hammerlock DDT to really grab everyone, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much they were really invested in in these two. The Miz and Jinder Mahal cut promos for the Battle Royal, and they also uh, went over Mahal uh, winning the 24-7 title and then losing it back to R-Truth on the airplane while he was asleep. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing a, a lot more of this stuff uh, on the flights to, to Saudi Arabia, and uh, you can expect maybe some stuff even on the way back. I, I think it's an improvement. You know, it's it's they're starting to be a bit more creative with these 24-7 things. 
um, and it encourages, you know, interactivity through their YouTube and things like that. Do you think they filmed any, any more while they were over there? I'm, I'm sure they will. Yeah. They, uh, Mahal was setting it up that he's going to go back for this title on the plane ride back home. Yes. So, um, yeah, yeah. if you're into it, you, you will be, I mean, you know, I think that it attracts a, a, a level of buzz online on things like Reddit and, and whatnot. If you don't really care for it anyway, you're probably not going to care for it that much either. Roman Reigns versus Shane McMahon was the third match on the main card. And Shane had just a ridiculous entrance with the flying bills going everywhere. Oh, dear. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he had the Rainmaker entrance with the, the Shane bills. Yeah. So they he was just coming out. This was a huge entrance for Shane. And then Reigns came out. Oh, sorry, Drew McIntyre got his own introduction. And then Reigns had this enormous fireworks display it was like the fourth of july here uh, for roman reigns and mcintyre distracted reigns allowing shane to jump at him as the the bell rung and was sent shoulder first into the post so shane had the advantage here until he got dropped by a big boot and the idea here was like they were trying to put shane kind of like give him the uh the ability to go 50 50 here with roman reigns he applied the inverted triangle and then reigns lifted and slammed him out of that and then Drew would get involved uh, to just cut off Roman Reigns whenever he had uh, a bit of momentum going for him. He fought off Drew. McMahon then kicked him in the middle rope low. And McMahon then hit his spear, which Reigns kicked out from. And then Shane climbs to the top, teasing the coast-to-coast drop kick, but is cut off with a Superman punch. And we got a brief CM Punk chant here from some people. Yes, we did. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of the default anti-McMahon chant. Reigns then called for the spear, ran into a kick in the face from Shane, and then Reigns struck Shane in response, and as Shane went down, he took the referee with him, and instantly Drew came in for the Claymore, and Shane jumped on top of Roman Reigns, and Shane McMahon pinned Roman Reigns in 9 minutes and 14 seconds, got onto Drew's shoulders, and we got the crazy pyro and fireworks for Shane's uh, celebration that was pretty, that after was pretty this. funny him sitting on drew's uh, uh this was shoulders. the most expensive post-match celebration uh in quite some time yeah uh you know so this feud continues shane getting the win over roman reigns i wasn't surprised they did this yeah i mean it's 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 it, the idea i know is to put the heat on drew so that drew uh, versus roman will have a bit of a story attached to it but the ultimate but, match is this rematch and probably some kind of stipulation yes i guess so um so get ready for the summer folks maybe whether it's SummerSlam or Extreme Rules in July, um, that seems to be what Roman's going to be attached to is ultimately getting the win on Shane and continuing this feud. Yeah. So it's a keep busy feud I mean, we'll for Roman see, Reigns. You, we'll see if he gets the win over Shane. Like we thought the same thing with The Miz, didn't we? Uh, I, I, I they guess could last minute decide, wow, Shane's really hot. Let's move him on to another baby face. I think you have to continue this. I can't see this ending with No, with I, mean, I mean without Roman winning. Without Roman getting the win back. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Then uh, Byron Saxton interviewed Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. They went over Kingston's trip to Ghana, and he's fighting with a purpose. He said he fights for anyone that had a dream and believed in themselves. And Dolph Ziggler has obsessed about his career, and he's going to give another moment to obsess over tonight when he beats him. And that took us to Lars Sullivan against the Lucha House Party. I thought up and down the card, this was maybe the easiest match to lay out. I don't think any kind of um, sophistication was required for this one. I was proven wrong. Sullivan dumped Lince Dorado onto the floor, and in record time, Sullivan's mouth was busted open here. And 
Kalisto got in some offense before he leapt off the top into an avalanche, and they got Sullivan off his feet. Already, I was shaking my head at them knocking this guy off his feet. Sullivan then regained control, climbed to the top, and he got knocked down by Grand Metalik and Dorado. And they start stomping him. Kalisto gets in on it. So they're attacking him three on one. And the bell is called. We got a disqualification victory for Lars Sullivan at 514. They continued the attack. They hit a top rope elbow. And they left Sullivan selling in the ring. And then he finally caught up to them on the ramp and attacked them. I, I did not understand this at all. I was surprised that the Lucha House Party got as much as they did, even on Raw. Yeah, I mean, they were able to take him out of the ring, but they emphasized he stayed on his feet. In this one, he gets off his feet. He doesn't even pin them. Like, mm-hmm. the Lucha House Party? Yeah. Um, I mean, I only expect this to continue, and this is the reason for it to continue, Ugh. you know? Um, maybe they just, you know, want to... They, they, they think that there's more to be had here. I mean, I, I kind of look at this card largely as just a way to prolong all these programs until they get back onto U.S. soil. I, I'm, I imagine you'll probably see this exact same match at Stomping Ground. Awesome. Great. Um, so that was that. was that, And that is where this show kind of uh, was, was, was trending at this point for me. Randy Orton versus Triple H was next. They mentioned this was their first match since March of 2010. And Michael Cole said, you know it's a WrestleMania caliber event. When Triple H has a badass entrance like this. And he came out in his giant motorbike. He's got his face all covered up. This is the entrance from like two years ago, wasn't it? Not, yeah, not he's, he's come out on this thing a few times, I feel, for WrestleMania. Okay. So Hunter attempts to pedigree. Orton attempts the RKO early. Both get blocked. And then we go into a match that um, I didn't know the unofficial sponsor was a uh, cricket wireless because that's what i heard during 95 percent of this match orton was selling his arm uh at one point like this match is i feel i genuinely enjoy randy orton matches more than most but him and hunter there is a certain chemistry that like even i had a hard time like like seeing these two having a a great match and i knew it was going to be long it was long it was even longer than i expected and i think the best interaction was Michael Cole asking Corey Graves, is this the kind of match you expected, Corey? And Corey goes, a hundred percent slow, methodical. <laughs> sure. Uh, we got your favorite, the reverse chin lock for ages and ages. Um, Orton drop kicked him off the edge of the apron. And then Hunter built up to doing a crotch chop, which actually got a bigger reaction than most in this match. So criticize the balls promo all you want, but this match got a big pop for Hunter's balls. Orton set up for the RKO. Hunter blocked and hit him with a spine buster, then applied a cross face. And then he hit him with the pedigree. Um, Sorry, first there was an RKO that Hunter kicked out of, and the audience did respond to that kick out. Orton then set up for the pedigree, which Hunter caught the leg, hit the pedigree. This time it was Orton's turn to kick out. They went to the floor. Hunter dropped him four times onto the announcer's desk. And then in the ring, he throws him. And Hunter runs out of the corner into an RKO and Orton pins him. Sit back and digest this one. 25 minutes and 38 seconds. This match went and I felt every second of this one. This dragged significantly. 
you know, these two are, are really known for this type of style of match. And when these two collide, it's, you know, it's, it's oil just negative, and oil. negative energy together. Yeah. Like they're just, uh, well, they, they almost take pride, I think, in, in this, having this type of style of match, you know, doing the, the getting the biggest reactions from doing the least amount. I, I just don't know if they achieve that, you know, even for the live audience. And after Randy Orton's stuff with Jeff Hardy and then the Batista match, where was the toolbox here? This could have been our toolbox oh, match. Oh, would you have liked the, t- the toolbox? Well, does Randy have any piercings? Um, not that we could see. Not above the waist that we're aware of. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I thought the crowd reacted well for the finishes, but this they, was like exactly the type of match you would expect from these two. They literally popped for the crotch chop, mm-hmm. the RKO kickout, the pedigree kickout, and the finish. And it was 25 minutes and 38 seconds. Yeah. All right, so they recapped again R-Truth beating Jinder Mahal for the 24-7 title, but no, uh, there was no R-Truth in this, not even in the Battle Royal. Oh, is that right? I think I got everyone in the Battle Royal, and there was no R-Truth. I guess it would be tough to be in that Battle Royal, because people would want to pin you the whole time. I guess so. So this guy had to go all the way to Saudi Arabia to do a YouTube clip. Yeah. In theory. Mm-hmm. Unless they filmed that on another airplane. He probably did stuff backstage, maybe. Baron Corbin complained to Byron Saxton about the referee costing him the biggest match of his career. And he said, and man, was this a line that I I think someone should have caught. He said, heads are going to roll. Well, there's a bit of that. Bobby Lashley, Braun Strowman. Uh, Lashley was on this big posing platform and got this huge pyro display for his entrance. And then Strowman tossed the platform away. Uh, The idea was it's these two unstoppable monsters. And... Yeah, this was another match. This was thankfully not 25 minutes, but it was eight and it kind of felt as long. They just, they traded the advantage back and forth. Strowman lifted up Lashley for the power slam, hit it. Lashley kicked out to not a care in the world. Lashley then tackled Strowman into a barricade, suplexed him onto the ramp, and then Strowman knocked Lashley off the top turnbuckle when they returned to the ring. He hit a second power slam and won at 822. Another bad match in what I thought was a string of them at this point. Like I was, this show was just so dragging at this point. Just two guys with power moves. Yeah. Kind of it. And no one seemed to care. Ali and Samoa Joe promos for the battle Royal. Kofi Kingston versus Dolph Ziggler for the WWE title. Um, we, we can just like fast forward here to like the ending portion here. Um, Kingston landed with a high cross. Each traded, uh, pinfalls and then Kingston landed the SOS for a near fall Kingston then hit a trust fall off the top to the floor as Woods played the trombone and Kingston sent Ziggler into the ropes and Woods hit him with an enziguri he bounced back and was hit with the trouble in paradise Kingston pinned him in 10 minutes and 12 seconds and yeah another one like they went out there it was I would say TV match at best yeah I thought it was fine you know it was it was this was, was hour just, number four of the was, show. Fine was, was really not cutting it for me on this show. It was kind of a match. And again, I, I didn't really sense the crowd to be as strong uh, for this one as perhaps, you know, Kofi matches might, like, for instance, of WrestleMania, a uh, crowd reaction versus this was quite different. But um, it was just a match. After this, and I mean, this is like one of the, I would say, for especially for a stadium show, like among the, the least energetic crowds that you're getting at this point in the show and graves thanks the fans for being engaged throughout every pinfall attempt and renee adds that despite the heat the audience still has all this energy 
Maybe it sounded different to them live. Or maybe their uh, their sarcasm uh, machine was on. Ziggler was interviewed backstage. He says he thought Kingston had earned everything and tonight proved he was a coward. He outperformed Kingston. He outclinicked him and got by because his buddy was watching his back and he should be WWE champion. He demands another match inside of a steel cage. And that is going to be our WWE title match at Stomping Grounds. And this will continue. Yeah. I find it interesting how 50 guys are about to enter a battle royal and at the end, the re- winner receives nothing. No. Yet no. Dolph can receive a title match for doing nothing, lose that match, and, and get another one. Just demand another one in a steel cage. Yes. So the 50-man battle royal was second from the top, and the challenge of this one was me trying to get every participant, and I came really damn close. We had Rusev, Mojo Raleigh. Before that, before that they had a video... Uh, talk, focusing on the fans and the audience. and That's right. They interviewed a lot of kids who were like really into the show. Predominantly doing, women and children. And, yeah. Yeah. They were definitely focusing on, on, on females, children. They were doing like impressions. Um, maybe like they, the, the type of video you would have expected on like in like a 90s show. Yeah. You know? Very much so. Like and that one show, night only one. I would kind of say this show overall felt like one of those 90s shows. In particular, like a show well, that... Not the crowd heat of that uk show we just reviewed that's true but you know uh, like in particular though like a show that would would either take place in the uk or somewhere else like outside of the u.s that was kind of canon not really canon well they should have mic'd these kids in the crowd yeah so here we go the 50-man battle royal rusev mojo raleigh jinder mahal cedric alexander the Singh brothers buddy murphy the return of the aop yeah the Miz, The Usos, Humberto Carrillo, Zack Ryder, Kurt Hawkins, Ali, Shinsuke Nakamura, Matt Hardy, No Way Jose, The Revival, The B-Team, Aiden English, I believe I spotted in there, Heavy Machinery, Xavier Woods, Viking Raiders, Heath Slater, Rowan, Anderson and Gallows, Eric Young, Tozawa, Shelton Benjamin, Bobby Roode, Mansoor, Chad Gable, Drew Gulak, Brian Kendrick, Sinkara, Tony Nese, Apollo Crews, and then we had separate entrances for The Miz, Samoa Joe, Cesaro, Titus O'Neil, and Elias. Very frustrating because if you add those up, I got to 49, and I don't know who the 50th was. Oh, no. I missed. I must have missed someone. Okay. It was very hard because they got them all into the ring, and Elias got to do his intro. Uh, I wasn't expecting a song where he would be uh, mocking the city or country uh he kept it very generic in his insults and then got attacked by the miz and then we got the cluster that everybody expected uh for this there were no surprise entrants this was not like the greatest Royal rumble it no was... no even like 205 live made up the the excess it was the... monsoor was really kind of the only anomaly yeah yeah he really was was he he wasn't involved on the crown jewel show was he it was just the greatest Royal i don't rumble. think so i he don't did recall the, he did the angle with the davaris last year yeah um did I mention Ricochet? Was he the one I missed? Um, yeah, he was there. Because I don't know if I listed him okay. here. He might have been the 50th. Sure. Because I'm looking at my list here. I don't think cool. I had him. So yeah. that would be 50. Um, yeah. And I mean, this thing was just a mess. What did you expect, though? This is what I expected. It's like it was 50 people in a ring that should never have 50 people. And I'll it was say, just trying to clear it out. I'll say most battle royals are like this. You know, <sighs> they, they don't mean anything until you get to the final... Five, final four. Well, that's fine. But if you're waiting for 15 minutes to get to that spot, it's it's a pretty painful 15 minutes. There was a lot of that, yes. Uh, I thought that the Casino Battle Royale, I would like to recon my review of that Battle Royale after watching this. Um, 
So people are just getting tossed. Uh, Tony Nese, your cruiserweight champion, just dumped out of nowhere. Not that any of this really matters. The Viking Raiders eliminated AOP. I'm not going through all these eliminations, only the ones that kind of stood out. Chad Gable cut his hair. Dude, dude, Chad Gable looks like he's in the witness protection program because he is not getting recognized anywhere. Mm. Um, maybe he thought if he cuts his hair like Tyler Breeze, he too can go back to NXT. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, Titus was hiding, hiding under the ring, and the only reason he got his own entrance was so they could do a play off of his entrance from last year. Um, Titus got to eliminate the Viking Raiders and then Benjamin eliminated Titus. So that's some weird, um, uh, eliminations and, and who got to look strong. Uh, the audience was chanting for Man- Mansoor, who was by far the most popular in this match. Joe eliminated your raw tag team champions. I would make Samoa Joe, the raw tag team champions. Why not? <laughs> yeah. He can yeah. hold them both. Um, after 10 minutes, Corey Graves asked, when does the sun come up in Jeddah? And will we have a winner by then? <laughs> Uh, Sinkara eliminated Shinsuke Nakamura, which was a statement that even in 2019, I didn't think I would be repeating. Elias eliminated the Miz with a flying knee. And then it's down to Ricochet, Ali, Joe, Mansoor, Cesaro, and Elias. Ali and Ricochet double team Joe to suplex him to the floor for a big pop. Cesaro knocked out Ali and Ricochet, followed by Mansoor eliminating, Ces- eliminating Cesaro. So it was Mansoor left with Elias. And it was like this entire crowd... They just all stood up and they were they were like, we care about this. And they teased Mansoor being thrown over the top. He held on and back body dropped Elias to the floor. Uh, this got among the biggest reactions of the show. And Mansoor celebrated. He cut this big speech afterwards about last year being a prospect at the Greatest Royal Rumble. And he's representing his country around the world. They're chanting, you deserve it and said he won the most historic battle royal in WWE history, which is questionable, but his dream came true. And I'm sure this was probably one of the the high points for most people on the show. Like, it was the right person to win this thing. Got an enormous reaction. Uh, But I thought this battle royal was absolutely terrible up until the last uh, minute. The battle royal was what I expected. What I didn't really expect, though, was that they would center it all around, like, a hometown guy, which, I mean, it's kind of textbook indie wrestling booking isn't it you know you book the battle royal for for the dude from from your your the local guy to win um i i thought it was well done if that was the intent i think they really lucked out in finding this monster dude if they're going to do 10 years worth of these saudi arabia shows he is seems to be a very capable guy he's a good promo uh looked fine for what he had to do in there in this battle royal i wonder how much of this is going to translate to uh his usual uh like uh, nxt or or wwe main roster or if he'll just be sort of a uh occasional appearance on these saudi shows yeah i think that he could have benefited for for the viewer at home he should have been one of the promos earlier on because he's someone that i would say even if you're a, a you know you follow wwe you you wouldn't be all that familiar with this guy unless you saw the greatest Royal Rumble last year. Like just something on him because he was very anonymous in the match. Um, though the crowd really got him over at the end with their reaction to him. I do wonder like how much of a presence he'll have, how much of a presence I think the WWE would want him to have, um, knowing that even any mention of Saudi Arabia on home soil right now gets met with booze. He is very much the representative of that country in the WWE how how will they kind of handle all that or will we only see Mansoor as a part of these shows yeah it's a good question I mean you're only doing two of these a year so that seems that you know he would be someone maybe you you bring him up um through 
NXT, uh, introduce him first at that level before he's a main roster guy, because I really don't see him being someone that they'd focus upon on the main roster on either show. Um, mm-hmm. And is more so someone that is utilized for these shows and maybe is sent to Florida for, you know, where he's going to be coming up through that system. They confirmed Kingston and Ziggler for stomping grounds, along with the previous announced matches of Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre, and Alexa Bliss challenging Bayley for the SmackDown women's title. And probably, I would say, after Ron's SmackDown, we'll know most of that card after this week, because they're back in two weeks. Yeah. Main event time. The Undertaker and Bill Goldberg. Uh, Goldberg does his usual entrance from his locker room. And he comes out, he still does that deal where he smashes his forehead into the locker room, into the locker itself, and it's bleeding. He did it on uh, Tuesday, even. Kind of nuts to be doing that that thing still. He's he's different. He is different. The Undertaker had uh, just, like, this was an insane uh, introduction and reaction. He had all these druids. And like this was top level WrestleMania style entrance for The Undertaker coming out. And I mean, the audience went nuts for both of these guys coming out. And as you predicted, like the entrances were going to be uh, a big part of this presentation. It's part of the appeal of, of like, you know, two guys who I think, I mean, really any, I, th- I guess, classic wrestler, but especially these two whose, you know, gimmicks really are crafted so much about uh, around their entrances. Um, it allows them to have these matches pretty much late into their career. The match started with Goldberg hitting a spear and then a second spear that Undertaker kicked out of and then sat up from and then came back, hit a choke slam, and Goldberg is, uh, stops Undertaker from delivering the choke slam and sweeps him into a knee bar. Goldberg then, after the submission attempt, runs into the corner and busts himself open. And there is a lot of blood here, like so much that you would be convinced that he was having a match with his younger brother. <laughs> uh, Taker hit old school. He hit the choke slam. Before we move on, do you, do you think this was a blade job? Uh, I mean, he was already like kind of like cut open when he was like coming into this match. So I don't know if he like. But, just... the, but the amount of flow couldn't have been like unintentional. It, it felt intentional. Yeah, it? it's. I mean, you're you're technically supposed to be fined if you do a blade job. Um, hmm. So I, I don't know if he came out and just he was going to run ram his head in hard way, thinking that this was going to need blood. Because it was a padded turnbuckle too, wasn't it? Um, did he go through to the post? I, I, I forget. Yeah, it was. Um, but th- there there was like a significant amount of blood here, um, more more than usual. Um, so Taker hit old school, lifted him for the tombstone, and hit it. But Goldberg kicked out, and again, this did not get a big reaction, the kick out to the tombstone. And Renee even said, it's eerily quiet here. Taker hit snake eyes and went for the running boot follow-up, but got speared uh, for the third time. And Goldberg goes for the jackhammer, but he kind of loses Taker and doesn't complete the move. And they're kind of just like reacting to it. And Taker kicks out. Goldberg lifts him and Taker goes to reverse into the tombstone, but Goldberg falls and Taker then gets up, hits this weak choke slam and pins Goldberg at eight minutes and 31 seconds. Um, I would say that there was a small window where just the, the personalities themselves were going to carry this match and go to an early finish. But man, this thing really fell apart in the last couple of minutes, like really badly. I thought they did perfectly fine all the way until 
they had to do some of those kind of from the jackhammer on that it just seemed like that threw them off and it was the timing was off they were like they were hesitant and it just was it just a sloppy end? I think just gassed, probably, you know, and maybe a little overambitious with their amount of strength. I thought, I feel like, you know, Goldberg lifting Undertaker, even in their prime, might have been a bit of an accomplishment. Well, well think about know? this. You know, you had the, the fast Lesnar match and then the fast Kevin Owens match. Mm-hmm. Um, even the, the Lesnar WrestleMania match, the good one, that was under five minutes. This, this was eight and a half. Yeah. Like, this was significantly longer than anything Goldberg did in that last run. There's no doubt they needed, you know, like a strong finish. Like, I think people would have expected a jackhammer, but man, um, unfortunately, a little overambitious here. And so much so that, you know, too gassed even to do the tombstone at the end. And Goldberg really had zero lift in that choke slam at the end, too. So maybe, you know, you could just be like nerves going out there, feeling like you maybe, you know, would have had more energy like before the match and then not realizing while you're out there sweating a lot in this heat. Maybe a lot that a lot of that got to him too, but unfortunately the match fell apart in the end. Yeah, you you do these nostalgia matches. I mean that that was kind of the same thought coming out of that main event at, at Crown Jewel. So, um, I, I thought this was a pr- a pretty bad show. Yeah, it was not a show. Uh, I mean, I think in terms of importance, it was a house show in a foreign country with a great uh, deal an of incredible pyro. budget. Yeah, with a great deal of pyro and a ton of amazing entrances and. A nostalgic act to top it off. You know, I would say that was really the only notable thing coming out of the show. Everything else was just like, felt like they were previews of, I think, things you will see again at Stomping Grounds. Yeah, I think that that was largely where they were shifting everyone's focus uh, immediately. And yeah, I think that this was uh, certainly a come down from some of the, the recent shows people have been watching uh, over the last month. Uh, but we are going to be... Do you want... Uh... We have some feedback on the board if you want to go to that. Yeah, right let's uh, let, let's go to the forum because I do want to hear what uh, people have to say about this. And then momentarily, uh, we will be joined by Will Cooling to talk about his thoughts on the show and the deal itself. But uh, tonight, uh, on a scale of 1 to 20, the audience voted this one a 3.44 out of 20. So... Definitely a low one. Maybe a better question would be to ask if how, how many people watch the show. But you know, maybe, maybe that 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 number says a lot. Either way, yeah. Uh, we are joined by Will Cooling right now. Oh well, it is our pleasure now to welcome. Uh, you know him from uh, Fighting Spirit Magazine, also the host of the British Wrestling Re- Report at pwtorch.com, and uh, someone that is no stranger to those listeners of British Wrestling Experience here at Post Wrestling. Uh, Will Cooling with us on the line. Will, how are you doing tonight? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. It's, it's a great honor. Uh, so, Will, did you uh, did you take in this entire show this afternoon? Just about. I had a bit of travel issues, but I got back in time, and with the exception of Andre Andre uh, Pimbala, I managed to watch the whole show. Um, not not the best WWE pay per view I've ever seen. It has to be said. No, I think that you're being extremely kind uh, to this show, especially over uh, some of the shows that we have uh, watched over the past month. Um, in terms of just the actual, uh, we, we haven't discussed this yet, but this was a political message-free show. Uh, did that surprise you going into this, or were you expecting something uh, more akin to what we saw at Crown Jewel, which, again, was uh, free of any of the messaging that we saw in, in the first version of this deal? Yeah, no, I think that was the thing we weren't sure about, whether after, now that the kind of the memory of what happened for Joggy had kind of died down, whether they'd go back to political messaging. 
And this didn't have any political message in it. Also, didn't have some of the more overt crown jewels. Uh, the stuff that was a great square rumble about pushing the ideology of Saudi uh, Saudi Arabia. So, for example, Greatest uh, Royal Rumble had 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 the ceremonial swords that they used in the traditional sword dance. Right. No sign of them here. The the kind of the emphasis on the on the national colours in terms of green was died was died right back down. Died right back down. Just this was a much more apolitical show, but I think would don't overlook what the Saudis were getting out of this. Jeddah is a city that they're trying to turn into kind of a tourist hub for that area, for the Middle East, going into India and Pakistan as well. And every time they cut to the outside, they'll give you a factoid about why Jeddah was a really great place to come and visit. Mm-hmm. They're still pushing something, just something a bit bit less controversial than Saudi Arabia is a liberalizing country. I found perhaps the the closest thing we might have got was, you know, the little video that they aired right before the Battle Royal, just, you know, showing all the women and children that are in, in the audience. Did you sense that um, there was maybe a different push for this particular show than maybe the first two um, in the way that they're maybe to perhaps using videos like that to perhaps, you know, change people's opinion rather than going so forceful with, you know, the, the, the woman driving MBS is great and all that stuff? Yeah, so I think Greatest Royal Rumble was obviously at the time of MBS's full-court press in America and to a lesser extent of places like Britain. But there's a real push to get them across as this kind of liberalising reformer um, due to the 2030 strategy. So, you know, you had puff pieces being written about in the New York Times, you had the National Enquirer Group actually being paid to produce a, a glossy magazine to be sold in American newsagents about Saudi Arabia. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think the issue you had with um, the November show is with the nature of what Riyadh is, if you're not pushing a political stuff, you don't really have a product to sell. So, again, with, with Jeddah, because of the nature of what Jeddah is, they could actually just do an apolitical push mm-hmm. for Jeddah's a great place to come and visit. You should come and visit Jeddah. In terms of the stuff with the women and kids, and, you know, there were a lot of male fans there as well. I'm always torn on that because it did seem a bit forced. But I do think you can get a bit cynical and underestimate that WWE really does have a global reach. So, for example, um, my wife is from uh, Zimbabwe. Um, and, you know, she lived in Zimbabwe in the 90s. And they knew about WWF. They knew about Bret Hart. They knew about Undertaker. You know, it was a big deal. Know, that far afield from America. So, whilst it might sound a bit strange, and it, you might, your probably cynical brain may doubt it, it wouldn't surprise me if you actually have a lot of young men, kids that were actually WWE fans. As you uh, look back in, in hindsight to the November show, like that seemed to me to be their greatest test that they faced so much uh, backlash towards the decision to go ahead with that show, uh, to, to just use the, the talking point that this is a, a business deal that we are not, uh, ba- that we are bound by. And that once they got by that, it almost felt that we have gotten through the worst of whatever is going to be thrown our way. And that I, I feel that there's like a, a doubling down in terms of their ability that whatever, negative backlash we are going to get is only going to be temporary and this deal is 10 years and we can withstand that backlash and and reap the rewards of this deal for us 
Yeah, no, I think they gambled right. I mean, I think the key thing was is in the in the initial aftermath of those horrible the horrible scenes in Istanbul, the question was, would there be like a permanent breach between the Western nations and Saudi Arabia? Would there be a permanent change in the kind of the the that geo, geopolitical relationship? And that never happened. And the reality is Obviously, we're we're wrestling journalists, and so we're going to focus on what WWE's doing. But it's a bit—you almost feel a bit silly to throw the book at WWE when both, you know, both the American government and the British government are working tirely, tirelessly to make sure that arms manufacturers can still sell weapons to Saudis. So once that bigger geopolitical relationship didn't break down, WWE were going to were going to be fine. They were going to be able to keep doing this, keep taking the money. No one was going to stop them. I think that in those few weeks, what they were waiting on was whether the White House would say the White House or the State Department would give them the instruction not to travel. When that didn't happen, it was like you said, they could just hunker down, take the brickbats in November, and normal service would be resumed by the time this show came around in May, June. And it has, you know, look, no, they aren't the only people to come and do shows like this. In Saudi Arabia um, this year, you know, just in just in a few weeks' time, Amir Khan, the British boxer, is going to be doing a show from the King Abdullah Sports City in Jeddah in the same location. You know, no, for better or worse, I'd say worse, but you no, know, things are going back to normal in terms of how people treat Saudi Arabia. With news uh, coming out that um, there were at least talks of uh, Alexa Bliss and Natalia potentially performing on this show. Uh, do you feel like we're very close from that being a reality? And how do you think that would affect uh, public opinion for the WWE's relationship? Well, I think it would probably help. I think it would probably help make it seem less of an odd show to pro wrestling fans. Um, the Saudis' attitudes to women's sports are known. You know, they had to be forced by the IOC to have women uh, participants in their Olympic program because the IOC wouldn't let them be in the Olympics unless they, unless they did that. Um, in, in terms of the more broader issues, I mean, you're still going to have the issues about how you actually present them. So, um, you notice whilst they, there were a few adverts during the show, four matches involving women at future events, they did not repeat the mistake they made with Carmella um, back at Greatest Royal Rumble of, of showing her, her too scantily clad. You also have the internal politics in, in Saudi Arabia in terms of the kind of complex dynamic between the, the royal family and the kind of the tourism board that is kind of working with WWE and the and the, the religious uh, figures. So if it happens, yes, it, it will make some feminist WWE fans feel a little bit better, but I'm not sure it's that important in the grand scheme. Uh, well, given the the, the amount uh, invested in this deal, uh, do you feel like this kind of this presentation that we've seen, especially over the past two shows, is something that is going to be more akin to the kinds of shows we are going to see over the life of this deal, or do you see it eventually being amplified amplified uh, more so? Like this is this is a very heavy investment that they are putting in to be able to. Uh, essentially have the WWE's reach for two days out of the year and how best that they maximize it, that they're getting what they want out of this relationship with WWE. 
Yeah, I was thinking that. You know, since the the, the the promotion has became so subtle, are the Saudis actually happy um, with what they're getting? And so this is just speculation. You know, maybe one of the reasons why the Saudis is not let the women's match happen is that's a piece of leverage they have over WWE. You start going back to some of the, the more elaborate videos kind of promote Saudi Arabia. The reality is with, with Saudi Arabia, though, is that you know, what they are looking to do is to grow their tourism business and to make Saudi Arabia a more attractive place for Westerners to live in um, who they want to recruit to work in certain parts of their economy. And things like WWE is what helps them do that. You know, it's, it's being able to say, you know, we have excellent entertainment, we have fun Western-style activities for you to do, you should you should consider coming to go on holiday here, live here. It's the same thing like of Abu Dhabi and Dubai have been doing uh, for a long time. I think that uh, another kind of interesting element to all of this is kind of where where people kind of hold their. Uh, sort of the expectation level of the performers themselves. And we, we've seen some that have decided that they don't want to participate in the shows, but the large majority do. Uh, just personally yourself, Will, I mean, do you look at these uh, performers that, I mean, how, how much weight is kind of on their shoulders here of like how much they're willing to participate in and and conversely, those that opt not to. And in the case of one case in Sami Zayn, it's, it appears that, he does not have a say in, in his participation. Yeah, I, I always find this challenging because at the end of the day, you kind of you have like a you have a you have a range of powers. You, know, you have a range of power status. So the American government would not be hurt by by just breaking all the by break by stopping WWE going to Saudi Arabia, um, which they could have done back in November. WWE would not be hurt by not do not have never entered into this deal or having broken the deal like say for example Endeavor did uh, when everything went down in October last year. Right. I find it like a bit challenging where you know you have guys who have their have their jobs and it's their livelihoods and it's like okay I can make this moral stand but the show's gonna happen and I have to put my career at risk. And you know, the reality is, is we've not had anybody to be seriously in danger because the people who have said no, to best of our knowledge, are Daniel Bryan and John Cena, both of whom are pretty bulletproof. The, the, obviously, the other person who has said no more recently is, we believe, Kevin Owens. And to me, that's the thing where it must be difficult for the wrestlers because I don't expect wrestlers to necessarily have the kind of broad-based political uh, opinions, and I don't expect them to have the same opinions I have. And I'm sure the rest will say, well, we go to lots of places. We might feel uncomfortable with their politics. You know, we, you know, any day, no, any day, we might do another show in China. We'd have to go to China. There are issues of India's politics, for example. But when you know they are actually they're not letting any of your women colleagues go, and then they're not letting a guy go because he's Syrian, or Syrian descent, and that is a country, a Saudi Arabia is um, in a kind of war with, or in, it's probably more accurate, you know, has, been in, has been interfering in their domestic affairs. That is a type of thing that I feel really strongly about not wanting to go. But 
again, it's, it's a problem with pro wrestlers, isn't it? The lack of a strong labour movement means it's very difficult for wrestlers to make their own opinions uh, count. Can you also uh, just discuss a little bit, you, you mentioned uh, the boxing match that is coming up July 12th that Amir Khan is involved and, and what has kind of the the reaction been, especially where you are in terms of that, has there has there been kind of the same uh, cloud over it and, and criticism coming his way? There has been criticism that people have said, um, why are you doing it due to human rights concerns, particularly someone like Amir Khan who has a history of a lot of charity work. Um. There is the same issue that the, that the reason he's taken the fight is that there's a lot of money involved. He's been paid three million more than his previous fight, and his previous fight was you know in America, shown on American television. Um, but I think the reality is, and I don't know how much this is true for American sports. I think it's a lot less. Is <clears throat> no Middle Eastern dictatorships just own so much of the UK and of European sports that. Well, it's, it's almost numbing. I mean, the actual thing that's been quite strange with pro wrestling is you've not had people almost say, but the Saudis are good. You know, you've not had anybody kind of repeat the Saudi propaganda. Whereas, you know, you look at, you know, you look at stuff like Man City, um, you know, you, your Paris Saint-Germain, you've had, you have had fans start to kind of almost become partisans of their owners and get very annoyed when people bring up the human rights abuses of the countries that own those clubs. Right. Uh, as, as you see kind of the, like this being kind of the, the one of the, the instances of the WWE finding this uh, kind of enormous contract, this, this 10 year deal. Uh, do you see kind of th- that this could be, Something where you mentioned China and other parts of the world where, I mean, these kinds of issues might be put at the forefront. If you are a WWE consumer, that there may be uh, many potential contracts that come their way that are not free of conflict and are leading to fans, I think, asking real questions about what they are supporting in this. Or do you see the opposite effect that this is eventually going to turn into apathy amongst a fan base that largely wants to turn that side of their brain off and just watch a professional wrestling show? It would be the last one. I mean, you go remember, this is, in a way, it's unusual. It's taken this long for this stuff like this to happen. Like, <clears throat> you go back to the 70s, there's a reason Thriller, Thriller in Manila was in the Philippines. There's a reason Bumble in the Jungle was in Zaire. It was because a dictator mm-hmm. paid lots of money For those five arbitrates, um, no, that did not stop anybody in America or in Britain or anywhere else in the world watching those fights. And it doesn't stop people now, um, no, for, over 30 years later, thinking very warmly of those fights. The reality is most people don't care. Because if they cared about this, they'd care about the arms sales that were happening. They'd care about all the, the foreign policy support that the American and British governments give the Saudis in places like Yemen in places like Syria. No, the, the Qatar blockade, um, you know, last year, people don't care. And it's sad, and it's disappointing, and it's kind of, it's, it's a bitter thing to say. But there is so much, there's so much wrong with the kind of Western world's relationship with Saudi Arabia, and many other countries as well, 
that the fact that they're offering them pro wrestling events and decided to offer him money for those pro wrestling events be very low down anyone's priority. It would seem well, like from a strategic standpoint, that to you know just to eliminate a lot of like what would be the kind of periphery backlash to it is. I think a lot of fans, if it's kind of just a show that we saw today, if this was the greatest Royal Rumble that was presented today, that that was largely uh, propaganda free or embedded in such a way that it's enough that there's a. Uh, that I, I think most fans, they wouldn't even have a light go off. But that first show, I think it was so in your face that it was largely a highlight reel that was sent over to the John Olivers of the world that it's it's very hard to kind of ignore that fact that it almost makes it seem that that is kind of, that was the tipping point for people, that it was just so blatant and in your face that you you couldn't even turn off um, that kind of qu- line of questioning if you just wanted to tune in and watch the wrestling presentation. No, they were making you complicit. I think it's an interesting question where even if what, hap- what happened to Khashoggi hadn't happened, would they have still dialed it back based on the feedback they had received that it was too much? Yes, I mean, what they did there was so far beyond um, anything that we've ever done. And, and I, I don't know of any sporting events that have gotten that, gone that far in the, the presentation of their broadcasts. Um, and I agree with you. I think it was like if this had if this had been the the WWE Saudi shows, I don't think there'd have been as much criticism because it was so subtle, because it was meant to be focused on promoting Jeddah as a tourist destination, and because it wasn't trying to explain the actions of the ruling family. Like I was listening pretty closely, and I don't think they ever actually thanked the Saudi government for hosting them, which had they had been doing in the past for previous shows. But yeah, they are certainly trying to play it more carefully. I mean, again, it goes back to that question, though, is that there was a reason that stuff was in the greatest Royal Rumble to begin with. It was what the Saudis were paying for. And are the Saudis going to be happy with it to continue where you have this very subtle, very dial-back presentation? Or will they actually want it to go back to something like it was at the Greatest Royal Rumble? Will it be like, well, look, you've got away with that much backlash this, for this show, and we actually start bringing some of that stuff back in? The other thing to consider, though, is, of course, you know, MBS, Crown Prince, has, has adopted a much lower profile since last summer, and the weird, it might have been an assassination attempt, it might have just been a drone flying past his, uh, past his palace, it just, just weirdness going on over the summer. Much more lower profile. Rumours of him clashing with his father and the king. It could just be that we, they signed the contract with WWE last, last year. They, um, the original idea was going to be part of this 2030 strategy and part of MBS's big push to kind of raise his profile in the West. And WWE is kind of They've got the deal still, and they've got the money still, but that there'll be less emphasis on that moving forward. Uh, before we let you go, Will, uh, while we've got you on the line, I did want to ask you just a bit, um, you know, for uh, kind of this side of the world with the ex- expected announcement of the WWE leaving Sky and going uh, to BT Sport. Uh, I know that you've uh, discussed this prior, but uh, just for those listening, uh, 
how much of a how much of a shift um, for WWE is it is this going to be for them? And uh, trying to to look to you know six twelve months into this deal, um, how rapid a shift in visibility this is going to be for WWE? So it's a pretty big shift in visibility. Um, BT Sports probably has about a quarter of the subscribers Sky has, and it certainly doesn't have the access to um, more widely seen channels that's, that Sky Sports has as part of the broader Sky package. Uh, the bigger issue, because this is what we seem to care about with uh, Britain, is, is the money. It's it's the fact that, you know, by most estimates, the, the British deal for WWE was a touching $40 million by the end of the final year. Given the way BT's been operating, um, I can't see them getting anywhere near that. Um, it's something I, I, I always predicted they were going to get an increase on that deal. I think, I think they, they, they almost certainly must have gone a reduction. And it's, it's alarming for WWE because Sky Sports will always be there. It will always be Sky Sports. It will always be the, kind of the dominant pay TV broadcaster in the UK. It'll, and as, as them being part of the Sky family, them being entrenched with Sky, meant that they'd always have that kind of exposure. BT could die in two years' time. That's when their leases on their TV studios uh, end up. It's when most of their TV, their, most of their sports deals end up. Um, they're, they're the people who set up the BT Sport channel, because for those who don't know, BT is primarily a telephone. The people who set up the BT Sport channel have been forced out. There's massive shareholder unhappiness with how much money they've been spending on the sports channels. So there's a very real danger. WWE might be back looking for a TV deal in two years' time. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, David Bixon's band made the comparison. I think he was right. This is like BCW leaving Turner. I mean, you know, like, actually, fully enough, today was the um, is the 20th anniversary of the uh, Vince McMahon Great, Greater Power um, angle. Oh. And that and that was the first Raw I watched on Sky after my family got Sky Sports. So, you know, I'm, 30, I'm 33 years old. I've been watching WWE on Sky for 20 years. That's way over half my life. You know, WWE's been on Sky since the early since the mid eighties, before there was actually B Sky B, before it merged with British Satellite Broadcast, when it was just Sky. Um, yeah, this is a body blow. If it, if it turns out, and the Telegraph tends to not get these things wrong, and so they're stuck when it comes to uh, the moves Sky and BT are making. This will be a body blow. Well, I definitely encourage anyone that wants to be uh, uh, following the industry uh, at all levels uh, there in the UK and beyond, uh, definitely follow Will Cooling on Twitter. You can also catch the British Wrestling Report at pwtorch.com, Fighting Spirit Magazine, uh, and every now and then he pops on the British Wrestling Experience. So, Will, I want to thank you uh, so much for uh, setting aside some time to come on with us tonight and uh, chatting about this show with us. I, I think that you're uh, one of the best people to talk to about kind of the uh, the, the larger political picture that the WWE is, is very much embedded in with this deal. Seems like we might have a connection issue with Will. Oh, but, dear. Uh, right, thanks, right at the end. Thank you so much for joining us, Will. Uh, so, yes, uh, that was Will Cooling. And we are going to be going to the forum now. Uh, I do want to read uh, some feedback here before we get to our next guest. And let's start off here with uh, David from Washington. 
This was pretty much dreadful, he writes. I'm glad I watched while at work so I can say I got paid to watch it. How in the hell did they botch the booking of the Lars match so badly? Just have them squash the three. Instead, it turned ridiculous and got no response. Goldberg was in great looking shape, but he sure dragged that match down as well. Either he got concussed, had no gas tank, or both. Uh, at least Triple H got his crazy long match to out everyone to sleep with. What a disaster. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, we're experiencing some uh, internet issues right now down here. So as we wait to be reconnected... Seems like we're back. Great. Awesome. Well, let's continue then with the feedback uh, and go to Matt. He says, I feel like I wasted my time watching, but was curious as to what were going to be my enjo- what was going to be my enjoyment of the show. My two takeaways from this horrible show. Undertaker and Goldberg need to stay away from the ring and the amount of talent lost in the Battle Royal. It's a shame. You guys are the MVPs over here watching the product days in, days out. I'm trying really hard investing in WWE, but it just seems like it's a deadened. It is deadened to me question in theory can aew be the elite promotion in the u.s and develop in the future relationships with different international promotions such as new japan to present stars from all over the world on a bigger platform like wcw did in the 90s um i think they're kind of already doing that already with you know agreements uh working relationships with the likes of triple a with owe and i i think that you are going to see uh partnerships that make sense that they will be looking to to showcase uh, new japan would in essence make a lot of sense but probably one that is not going to be happening anytime soon uh in terms of those two uh working together but yeah i i can see aew working with a lot of international partners we got uh kareem zidane on the line right now kareem zidane joins us now here on the live show coming out of a super showdown uh I think this guy, one of the the top journalists in the MMA space, uh, you can read his work at bloodyelbow.com and joins us now uh, as we discuss uh, kind of more so the politics of this event. Uh, Kareem, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, John, it's wonderful to be on. It's, uh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Well, I wanted to start with you of kind of in your own career, Kareem, when you kind of found this to be kind of your area that I, I think you have completely kind of dominated this space of looking at what is, I think, a very intriguing intersection that's kind of always existed there between politics and specifically combat sports. I mean, we're kind of coming at it from the professional wrestling side, but when was it that you kind of really saw that that this intersection was something that that you could cover and have covered so well? Well, honestly, I got quite lucky because I got the opportunity to be a commentator, an English commentator for M1 Global, which is one of the Russia's it's probably Russia's oldest mixed martial arts promotion now, and that's still going at least. And uh, I mean, I spent, I, I got to go to Russia about 12 different times between 2014 and 2016. And during those trips, I learned a lot about the intricacies of combat sports and the oligarchs involved, uh, the, how Putin got himself involved in it. And then, of course, the biggest story of them all in that regard was a Chechen dictator Ramzan Kadyrov owning his own fight promotion, mm-hmm. an MMA fight club, and ended up interacting with the UFC later on. So it was around 2015, late 2015, when I realized, you know what, it might be time for me to to dedicate myself to a sports and politics, especially combat sports and politics niche. And it's been my go-to ever since, and it's worked for me ever since. And it remains, unfortunately, John, a very, very much underreported uh, uh, segment, despite all the concerns and all the situations we see, and one of them we're about to discuss right now. All right, so p- playing off of that, cream. I mean, in in MMA, I find that it is like it's absolutely like 
inescapable. And I mean, you are kind of always kind of connecting the dots on, on so many of these stories. In professional wrestling, I, I think it's been like while it's existed, I think that this this deal last year that was announced with the WWE and the General Sports Authority uh, in Saudi Arabia, even when it was announced, I don't think people necessarily understood kind of what what was going to this deal would entail. And you kind of saw in the lead up to it, a lot of discussion about kind of what is the WWE entering here? What is going to be required of them for such a for such a rich deal that they're entering and then when you saw that first show last year, which was the greatest Royal Rumble card that I, I know you wrote about on Deadspin, mm-hmm. uh, people watching that, I, I think it, w- it was very hard to be able to overlook like what this deal is, what the government is essentially enlisting in the WWE to have their messaging system and to broadcast to the world kind of an infomercial for their country. It absolutely was an infomercial. I'd go one step further to call it entirely a propaganda show from beginning to end, especially that the government has, has reportedly sponsored and paid for these events. I mean, it, it couldn't get any clearer. And unfortunately for me in this regard, I have started researching and looking into Saudi Arabia again in terms of its relations to sport and sports and politics around a couple of months actually before that event, when they had started announcing the Vision 2030 plan, their whole sort of economic plan to, to, to deviate away from a dependence on oil which included expanding their entertainment sector and all sorts of things. And of course, what comes with expanding your entertainment sector, sports, mm-hmm. sports events, music, concerts, etc. So at first, it was bringing things in like the WBSS uh, boxing tournament, some racing events, etc. And of course, the big one, and it remains their biggest get so far, has been the WWE. And especially since the WWE has been so willing to mold itself and work its shows around Saudi Arabia's needs. And basically bend over backwards for the government because they know they've got sort of a guaranteed contract for the next few years. It's remarkable, honestly, because I didn't see this coming. To an extent, uh, (laughs) this is is a a propaganda show on a level I haven't seen for a long time. Because when it's a standard sports event, at the end of the day, you're there seeing the the, the sporting action itself. But when this is a, a professional wrestling event, a much more theatrical show, it is really... It's really a lot easier to bring in those subtle propaganda bits. Like, I mean, having an Iranian segment on that very first Royal uh, Greatest Royal Rumble show. I mean, I was watching that show based purely on curiosity because I had already done the reporting ahead of time on what to expect from such a show. I was watching just out of curiosity to see if all this really was going to come to fruition. And when I see a segment where they're bringing out Iranians as heels, Iranian wrestlers as heels to piss off the Saudi crowd, knowing the extreme tensions between Saudi Arabia and Iran that are going on right now, the wars and the sort of the conflict that are being stoked right now in the Middle East because of Saudi Arabia, because of Iran, I think it was an extremely misguided uh, decision. And some people have said, well, this is what WWE does historically. They've done this with the, the Gulf War. They've done this with multiple other things. I mean, Sergeant Slaughter is a famous example of that, in my opinion. I still remember that from, from, from ages ago. But this is different. You're, you're playing with fire that's Actually, it's, it's ongoing. It's an ongoing situation. You're in a foreign country. And you don't know how those fans are going to react to those situations. I mean, case in point, those same wrestlers ended up getting threats in Iran, yeah. which is not something the WWE expected. So I don't think they understand the greater extent of the consequences of what they're doing. I don't think they understand the fact that when they go and host events like this, they are actually helping rebrand Saudi Arabia's government image. Not much else. They're helping rebrand uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman. As this, as say, let's say this is before even the Khashoggi murder, the journalist's uh, horrific murder. Before that, they were just trying to 
uh, play along with this idea that Hamad bin Salman was a reformer, that Saudi Arabia was in a process of reform. So I think the WWE, when it underplays the role it has, that it's just going there as a statement for progress, I think it underplays how much it helps create a veil and distract uh, international audiences from the human rights atrocities that are going on within Saudi Arabia. Kareem, I, I don't know how much uh, you are aware of it, perhaps some of the rumor uh, that um, women's matches might uh, eventually... Uh, actually, they were perhaps rumored to to go on on today's show, um, and that they might be going on in the near future. So, you know, there are people who see news like that and look at the WWE as actual people that are there to create progress and create change. What would you say to perhaps defenders uh, in that uh, of of the WWE's relationship? I see that that's, a, again, another misguided statement. Why? Because the idea that the WWE is going to go, a Western product, a U.S. product is going to go into Saudi Arabia and somehow promote and actually inspire and bring about change is not only ignorant, it is actually arrogant. And only an arrogance only capable of a Western audience member, unfortunately, because this is what they're used to. The idea that progress comes from the Western world, not realizing that progress only comes from reforming a country from within, changing the actual democratic structures of the country, changing uh, the, the way the actual government interacts with its people. That's not going to happen unless women gain truly more rights within the country, giving them the right to drive, which is probably the most archaic right they could have given them anyway. There is no country in the world where women cannot drive. It's not giving them rights. It's not giving them equal rights in the slightest. And the idea that two female wrestlers are going to wrestle in Saudi Arabia, all that tells me is that the WWE wants that as sort of a medal of honor for themselves, sort of a badge of honor that says, look, we were the ones who brought this progress to to Saudi Arabia, just like they did to the UAE. But in truth, I don't think it stands for much at all. It's, again, just U.S. arrogance that they think that this is that a match like that is going to inspire real change. We've seen in the last two shows, Kareem, like today's included, that it's been very much toning down the political messaging. Although I'm sure if you're still watching, you can certainly see elements there that you are still promoting the country. Is this something that do you feel that the government of Saudi Arabia would be satisfied with something at that level? Or do you feel that it's going to simply be uh, a matter of time before they ramp it up to what you saw last year at, at the Greatest Royal Rumble, that these shows are going to be closer to reflecting that kind of uh, in-your-face messaging? I think, personally, I think they're going to continue to test the water with the WWE and see what they're willing to do. I think it's, there's, I mean, there's a logical reason, in my opinion, why the WWE would tone it down for the most recent event. And again, that was the Khashoggi murder, which caused true international uproar. We're not talking about consistent uh, uh, disagreements with the fact that Saudi Arabia is, 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 is a human rights abuser and has always uh, had terrible women's rights. This is a, a, a horrific murder that occurred that was international news. And we had Republicans and Democrats all telling the WWE not to even go and to cut ties with the company. So, of course, in order for them to go, there had to be some extreme damage control. And part of that was toning down the show significantly. But at the end of the day, just by going there and broadcasting these shows and telling these people that this is a place for progress, this is a place where reform is occurring, this is propaganda. This is not factual information. Yes, there are economic changes happening within the country. That is true. But that is for Saudi Arabia's benefit in the first place. That's, that's, that's for its own government's benefit because they're, they're not going to be able to depend on oil forever. There are, there are extreme civil rights 
issues. And it's not just women's rights that are there. Homosexuality remains illegal in Saudi Arabia. They continue to crucify and execute people who have given confessions and torture. So, and they do this all the time. And these are public executions. This is not a country that you want to go to and do business and say that you're promoting reform. That's simply lying. It's just not true. As a as a, a wrestling fan, um, I feel like a lot of uh, us perhaps are struggling now with perhaps what we could do because uh, knowing that this is a ten year deal, knowing that this is going to continue to go on, um, I think a lot of people perhaps look at a situation like this and wonder what is the right thing to do if I like professional wrestling? Do I stop watching the WWE? Do I stop watching these shows in particular? Do I get rid of the WWE Network? And in the end, do any of those things affect change at all? But in your opinion, Kareem, what would you recommend to a fan who perhaps is, is bothered by some of this stuff but doesn't really quite know how to show it? You know, I've, asked, I've been asked this question a lot, especially with regards as well to the UFC when it does its shows in Russia, where it does its shows that, that feature fighters affiliated to Ramzan Kibirov. I get this, asked this question quite a bit with various sports because there are fans out there who are struggling with their morals and about watching certain events and about trying to distinguish what is just purely entertainment and where they should take a stand. And, I, and that's a very, very complex question. I don't think I can give you a, a, a single answer that works. All I say is different people have different standards for what they think is appropriate on such actions. I no longer am able to stomach a lot of these shows. I cannot watch, for instance, the WWE shows. In, I can still watch a WrestleMania, for instance, but I cannot watch the WWE's events in Saudi Arabia. Case in point, I did not watch the event today. But I do follow the news. I do keep up. But I can't watch those events. But that's just me. I'm not able to stomach it. But I have to write about these things day in and day out. Different people handle these things differently. I think if there's one thing I would ask of people and I would advise people day in and day out when it comes to this stuff is just to be aware. It's very important to be aware because there's nothing worse than willful ignorance. There's nothing worse than trying to convince yourself that nothing is wrong just so that you can watch something guilt-free. Accept your guilt. Accept your guilt on these things. Be aware that some of the things you choose to watch and you take part in are complicated things that should be discussed and that there are people suffering because of the thing you're enjoying, that there are people within those countries that you're watching where the WWE is proclaiming progress and change where people are suffering right now, where that country that they're taking money from right now is promoting wars in places like Yemen, where there are millions starving right now. These are all things we all should be grappling with. The idea that we shouldn't be grappling with them and that it isn't a concern is nothing more than willful ignorance. What, what's kind of the, the, the breakdown, Cream, of kind of the, the response you get to a lot of your, your writing? Is it, is it more concentrated in that willful ignorance or is it, is it kind of a split of people that are learning things that maybe as a fight fan, as a wrestling fan, that they are not necessarily uh, had been aware of at that point? I mean, I, I much imagine that you get uh, probably all across the board when it comes to feedback to your work and what you are choosing to write about. It really is. It is feedback across the board. There's always, I do always get a lot of support, especially from the minority groups I choose to cover. Any mm-hmm. people who are suffering in any sort. If I'm writing articles about Kadyrov and the U.S. interacting with them that's affecting LGBTQ people, well, there's a lot of them who reach out and, and thank me for such articles, even though I'm not doing it for a thank you. Uh, but it, it clearly affects different people different ways. But in general, I do get a lot of support. I get a lot of people saying, Karim, you have... You have you have taught me about a topic I, I knew nothing about beforehand. Had it not been for you, Leslie Smith, a, US, a former UFC fighter, told me that she can now recognize Kadyrov's face instantly because of all the articles I've written about him. Things like that make me happy because that at least 
people are educated, people are aware, just like I said before. Awareness is all really I'm doing my job here for, other than outside the fact that it is my job. I see this kind of reporting that I'm doing as raising awareness for people. So that's that's all that, that really matters there. Of course, there's also, just to see the other end of the spectrum, there's also a lot of hate. There's a lot of people that say I'm a hater, that I'm promoting hate, and that I just simply don't like these organizations, that I don't like the UFC, that I don't like the WWE, and I want to see them all fail. Well, I think they're giving me way too much credit for the fa- for what my articles are capable of doing in the first place. If they think that suddenly I'm going to write an article about the WWE in Saudi Arabia and that business deal is going to fall apart. But there is a lot of trolls. There's a lot of people who try to delegitimize the words. There's a lot of people who try to use whataboutism to argue. If you write an article, say, about uh, Russia, they'll say, why aren't you writing an article about the U.S. and Trump? Well, I do that as well. For me, I don't distinguish between... Uh, which side of the world you live on. If there's an authoritarian regime and it's interested in sports, you can be damn well certain I'm going to be covering it at some point. When it comes to uh, speaking specifically of Mohammed bin Salman, since the, the Jamal Khashoggi murder, like we have gone from seeing this guy who did, you know, a U.S. tour and this guy was being positioned as kind of this change agent um, since that time in October. Um, can you talk to us a bit a bit about his public profile and kind of how he has been viewed uh, since that time in October and as well kind of in the region as well in Saudi Arabia? Oh, it's been, I mean, it's been quite a time since since the murder of, of Jamal Khashoggi, for sure. It, it definitely impacted uh, Hamad bin Salman's image because, I mean, he even had the media fooled. I think of all our me- our major media in, in, in North America, from the New York Times onwards, they all attended those dinners with Hamad bin Salman in the U.S. They all wrote those articles about him being apparently Saudi Arabia's reformer when before the murder, if you actually read the Saudi news and saw what he was doing, it was evidently clear that he was a hardliner just like his predecessors. It was extremely clear if you just read the news. It's right there in front of you. But they chose to go with the more interesting story. The headline that works is Saudi reformer. But it, it, that's not who Mohammed bin Salman ever was. But right now, because he did convince so much of the media, because all that media turned against him, and a lot of people pulled their money out, a lot of events did not happen there. For instance, Endeavor, which is the UFC's parent owner, had a huge deal with Saudi Arabia that they just completely shut out. They actually had to return their money to Saudi Arabia. And apparently, reportedly, Ari Emanuel actually was so scared for a while, he was walking around with bodyguards. So that says a lot about what has happened to Saudi Arabia's image, that Someone can, in the U.S. can now cut out a deal with Saudi Arabia and have to walk around with bodyguards because he's worried he's going to be the next to be cut up with a chainsaw. So there's been a lot of rebranding from Hamad bin Salman. And you know what? It's working for him because people are going to go back and make, there's no way Saudi Arabia is going to be cut out of the international uh, sphere. It's way, too, it's way too influential in the Middle East. It's way too influential as a Sunni power in the world where countries like Egypt and Syria have fallen and Iraq have fallen when they were once the Sunni powers. You're left with Saudi Arabia now to counter Iran. So at least that's how the United States views it. So they're never going to cut their ties with Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is still major oil uh, deposits, and that's never going to go away for, for a very long time still to come, despite their, their, their changes in their dependence. So Saudi is going to be reintegrated very slowly. But I think people are going to always remember that damage that was done to Mohammed bin Salman's image, knowing that it was him behind that murder, or allegedly behind that murder. We know the people who were actually arrested were the people around him. But still, I think that that's significant damage to his reputation. And forever, now anyone who's going to have these sports-related ties with Saudi Arabia, this is going to be the first thing that's referenced, even though there's a long list of things to go off. 
right, from the, all the civil rights and the civil abuses and the human rights abuses that have been going on in Saudi Arabia, the first one that comes to people's minds now is Hamad bin Salman and Jamal Khashoggi. That's very significant, in my opinion. So on on today's show, I mean, as John mentioned, you know, we've seen kind of a much more toned down version of, of perhaps uh, what you, we've come to expect from uh, the Saudi Arabia shows. Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you, can how do we recognize perhaps more covert forms of propaganda that, you know, might might be employed in these types of shows in the future? That's a very, very interesting question. Uh, I would watch out for things the commentators say. Honestly, because that's what that's what caught my attention. I don't know if you if you call that covert or overt. Honestly, because it, it did feel pretty overt to me when it was happening. When they're talking about Saudi Arabia being such a beautiful place, real such a beautiful place, and I'm not disputing how beautiful the cities are, but it's setting a specific tone for your show and setting a specific tone for how you're speaking about this this place in this country. And then they go on from there. Well, you know, Saudi Arabia is going through all this reform. Look at all these women in the crowd. Those kinds of statements are very very problematic. That's the kind of stuff that. Some would say is more subtle that I would watch out for. Things that commentators have to say. And again, I have not watched the most recent two shows, so I cannot say for certain that's, if that's occurred or not. I'm sure you guys know much better than I do that that's been happening or not. There was a the video. I mean, there yeah. was one specific video that, that they aired today just focusing on the women and children in the audience um, and, you know, uh, how, how much they were enjoying the WWE. And, you know, we had Will Cooling on who, you know, was was very right to point out that perhaps it might be a cynical point of view to think that, you know, this was not rea- real. But um, if, if, in fact, it, there very well could be uh, many women and children fans. Um, but to me, the point was not lost on me that they were specifically the ones that were being focused in this video. And so I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on as, on that as well. Oh, that's, that's, that's very interesting. And again, I'm not, there's nothing, there's nothing that would suggest that that video is fake. In my opinion, that could, could entirely be a real video of all the people who are actually in attendance. But just remember how hard it is for women to do anything on their own in Saudi Arabia or abroad. Just remember that when they try and flee their country, they are forcibly brought back, kidnapped and brought back to their country. Remember that they cannot buy things on their own. They cannot move around freely without their guardian. They're under a male guardianship system. So when they show you these pictures and the videos showing you women supposedly freely doing what they want, just remember that that's not true. Again, it's showing its, it's perspectives, right? And that's what, that's what that video is trying to do. It's trying to set the specific scene and image in your head. And sure, it's true to an extent. There are women and children there. But if you look deeper, it still, it still <laughs> sends a troubling message. But it's, again, a much lighter and simpler one than what they were doing at, say, the Greatest Royal Rumble. I'm curious as well, Kareem, kind of your own stance when it comes to the specific performers we're talking about, specific fighters that we will find, you know, as as these ones that are are essentially placed in these positions to whether it is, you know, just posing for a photograph with with somebody and just this like this endorsement uh, of such like where what is the weight you place on the actual uh, performers that I mean, they have the defense that, hey, this is my job. I am. And that's kind of uh, I'm not going to be uh, one of the someone that is going to rock the boat although in the WWE's case there have been several performers who have opted not to go to these shows of late and and I really applaud those ones that are willing to do that uh when it it could be very easy for them to just simply uh go along and claim that I'm I'm just simply doing my job what is what is the responsibility on on those specifically involved uh you know in UFC and WWE and anywhere else where you're, you're seeing this? 
Well, let's start with the WWE. I think it absolutely depends on your position uh, on the roster. Because, I mean, these are these are independent contractors at the end of the day, or I guess they're just contracts, so they're contractors. They're not employees. They don't have an extensive list of rights here either when we're talking about labor rights for WWE wrestlers. So there's really, it's really not much that they can do when we're talking about the majority of the roster. But when we're talking about the influential hands, like the few, the influential few on the roster, if they have the ability to say that they don't want to go and they don't want to go, that's what they should be doing. So I have all the respect in the world for people like Daniel Bryan, who, uh, who is one of the people reportedly who does, who does not attend these, uh, who right. does not go to these shows. I've heard a whole list of other names as well. But like these, uh, the point is, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot to admire with, with wrestlers like that when they take those stances. Now, here are the people I have the most problem with, though. I have a problem with people like a Shawn Michaels and an Undertaker, a Goldberg and a Brock Lesnar going to these places, these Americans who do not need the money, do not need to go to these events, choosing to go to make these shows even bigger and more emphatic and and more and give them even much more of a marketing push. The idea, what was the what was what did they do at the last one? Brothers versus Brothers of Destruction versus Degeneration X? Well I mean that's something you haven't seen in God knows how long. I'm sure that works on the Saudi crowd and that that helps market the event. So Shawn Michaels is to blame and to an extent for that propaganda show. He had absolutely no reason there. It was not going to cost him anything to not attend that show. It's remarkable to me that these people just put these stances aside and happily show up to these events and act like nothing is going on or that it's just part of their job or that it's just them doing business. It's the same thing when you see a Fabricio Verdum, a Brazilian UFC fighter, partnering up with, a, with, with the Ramzan Kadyrov as the ambassador for Kadyrov's MMA promotion. And then when people actually finally confront him as MMA media members like uh, Mark Raimondi confronting him, actually saying, well, you're working, you're, you're being sponsored by a Chechen dictator who is purging gay people. And the first thing Fabrizio Verdum says is, oh, don't talk to me about politics. I don't know anything about politics. I'm just an athlete. That's a pathetic excuse. That's a pathetic excuse that I have absolutely no respect for. Let me just get that out right now so that there's no mincing words there. That's not an acceptable reason in the slightest. Again, that goes back to a point I made, say, 10 minutes ago about willful ignorance. That's you deciding to ignore specific set of problems that are clearly laid out in front of you. Why? Because it will, what, guilt you? Hurt your conscience? That doesn't, that's not good enough. I'm sorry. So Fabrizio Verdun, who has no reason to be in Chechnya or working for Chechnya, is doing it just to take the money? Yeah, zero respect for a human being like that. But... But it gets a lot more complicated when we talk about the Chechen fighters who live in Chechnya associating with Ramzan Kadyrov. It is much more complicated because we know what that place is actually like. We know what Ramzan Kadyrov is capable of. It's even more complicated when we speak about uh, Habib Nurmagomedov, who's in neighboring Dagestan. Why? Because Kadyrov is actually trying to expand the borders with uh, the, the Chechen borders right now and take land away from Dagestan. That's how strong he is in the region, that he is the, he's the strongest leader in the North Caucasus region. And I can imagine a Khabib Nurmagomedov doesn't want to rock the boat there either. So we're talking, it really depends on where you're located. But when you see an American fighter, a Frankie Edgar, a Frank Mir, a Chris Weidman, all these people who have gone taking money, six figures, mind you, to go just appear in Chechnya, help this, this, uh, this Chechen monster, basically, this tyrant, Re- rebuild his image. Well, those, yeah, I have no respect for any of those people either. There's no reason for an American to go there. They're under no threat whatsoever. Anyone who tells you they are is lying.
Is it your opinion, Kareem? Like you outline that, and I think in in a really succinct way. And this is like there is it's a case by case basis. There's so much nuance to so many when you're talking about geopolitics at at this level of the public at large having that ability to kind of parse through that that nuance. And for some, I think that they don't have the appetite for it. And I think it's you know both way. And I kind of hope that there there is that that demand for kind of discussing the, these larger topics because I think that they're they're too big to just go a, and ignore and simply believe that you are tuning into a wrestling show and this is escapism entertainment. It's it's anything but when you're watching these shows and kind of diving into what these deals entail and kind of the, these instruments that are being used in front of you. Absolutely. I venture so far to say that it's because it's because people see sports and these entertainment events as escapism that they are most dangerous, by the way, because people go into them with this open mind thinking, I'm just watching a piece of entertainment. They don't notice the propaganda or when, or when they do, unfortunately, it will actually work on them. And that's something that's, that, that these regimes know. They understand that sports are a feel-good thing and that people want to see the most positive situation, which is why, a quick example for you, during the World Cup in Russia, when Putin raised the pension age, the age for, for retirement in Russia, he did so. He passed that law in the first week of the World Cup. Nobody noticed because they were out in the streets celebrating. As soon as the World Cup is over, they were protesting on the streets. But it was too late. It was passed and it has not changed since. So that's a quick example of what sports can do to you. Yes, they can be brilliant. They can be life-changing. They can be inspiring. They can make you the happiest person and give you days you'll never forget for the rest of your life. But never forget how these massive events that we watch, that we love so much, can impact the locals, the people involved, and the people behind the scenes that you never even think about. So there's always two sides to these things. I wanted to ask you, Kareem, for a wrestling fan who perhaps is just kind of being introduced even on the surface to some of these issues. What are some trusted sources of news uh, regarding the region, regarding you know the, these types of geopolitics that you would recommend? That's a really, really difficult question. Because I don't like ever promoting one specific source or, or, or I, I really, I, I like to tell people to read with an open mind, to read different uh, sources. And I like, I mean, when I do my research, I'm opening everything I can find. I'm opening Arabic articles because I can read in Arabic. I'm from Egypt. I can read in Arabic. And I, I, I'll open English sources. I'll open a BBC. I'll open, I'll, I'll see whoever's reported locally. I'll see what the New York Times said. I'll see what all these different places have to say. But I can't think of anyone doing any specific reporting on this, on this, on, on this kind of topic. So unfortunately, if you really want to research uh, into what Mohammed bin Salman is doing, I think you should start by typing into Google Vision 2030 and really researching what that entails. The economic changes that are going on in Saudi Arabia, what the government is trying to achieve, what's happening behind the scenes with Mohammed bin Salman, and what sort of problems the Saudi government is going to face in the next few years. Because all that helps you piece together why they're trying so hard to use the WWE and to bring in all these other sports events. Now, why they're trying so hard to appease these slight social changes right now. I think that all this requires individual research, unfortunately, to the most extent. Or you can read the articles I have where I compile a lot of that stuff together. So it's, it's, it's up to the, the, your viewers, honestly. It's going to depend how they want to go through this. 
Uh, well, I recommend everyone follow Kareem. Uh, he is at Zidane Sports, Z-I-D-A-N Sports. Uh, you can read his work at uh, Bloody Elbow, uh, among several other outlets as well. He's done work for The Guardian, for Deadspin. And uh, Kareem, I would definitely love to have you back on sometime. This has been a fantastic conversation with you and glad that we got to get you on the show tonight. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great discussion. I look forward to having it again soon. Thank you very much, Kareem. Have a great night. Thank you. Thanks, Kareem. Take care. Take care. Bye. Well, there we go. That was great. Um, Both uh, Will and Kareem joining us. I thought uh, two great voices to have on this show. And before we wrap things up, we should uh, give out the phone lines again. If you want to weigh in on tonight's show in any capacity, 732-800-4423, or you can Skype in by searching for Post Wrestling. Uh, We'll spend the last... uh, 15 minutes or so here taking calls, and we also have more feedback on the forum. Okay. Uh, shall we uh, go to one right now? Which one did you just uh, leave off with? Uh, let's go to uh, PJ River was the next uh, one. PJ says, this was a very bad show. Very messy, especially after TakeOver 25, Double or Nothing, and Best of the Super Juniors. TakeOver versus Goldberg was mer- worst match of the year, and I'm a huge Goldberg fan. Mansoor was the only saving grace. Yeah, a lot of people looking at um, if, if Goldberg may have, like, uh, injured himself uh, in this, uh, yeah. which we don't know as mm. of right now, but certainly a possibility um, mm. as well. Um, that could explain some of the ending to that. Noah from Vaughn, I was fortunate to only catch the Battle Royal and the main event after coming home from work. Those two matches were just so terrible. Question for both of you. Do you think these Saudi Arabian appearances are worth tarnishing the legacy of a bunch of legacy, legendary stars like Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, and Bill Goldberg? Uh, let me re-ask that question, Wade. Do you feel that there are those that believe that this this does tarnish uh, their legacies. I certainly think in the case of Shawn Michaels, yeah, the answer is absolutely yes. You know, I think... That, for, for the the match itself or just being involved in the show? Being involved. Yeah. I mean, a, a big part of how you feel about that depends on how you feel about the issue at hand. If you don't care about it, then it wouldn't tarnish the, 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 uh, the, uh, the image of Shawn Michaels. Same with Bill Goldberg. Um, I think Shawn, though, that one, to me personally rings a bit more strongly stronger because he came out of retirement specifically to do this and i felt like you know much like kareem was able to to um uh, explain it 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 said a lot about perhaps where his politics lie uh we do have a call yes we do caller you are on the line yo what's going on it's hansy hi hansy hey how's it going i just want to be i'll be i'll be quick i just want to say that uh First of all, you know, uh, the interviews that you guys lined up, uh, I thought they were really insightful. And I want to give you guys a hand for, I, like, I know a lot of people, I, listen, I, I'm critical of the media and all that. And, and the thing is, like, you guys like, present nuance, and I'm glad that you guys had, like, different people giving perspectives on it. Because I thought, you know, as wrestling fans, we don't really discuss, because po- politics, like, this is a divisive issue, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that you guys like had you know guests on to like you know discuss this and have uncomfortable uh, you know topics about our our fandom and how we kind of in a way contribute a little bit but like you know we're all guilty of it you know what I mean so I just wanted to give you guys like a round of applause for the work you guys put in and uh, the show wasn't really that good I didn't really care for the show. Goldberg and Taker match was like an embarrassment. I'll just leave you guys with that one. All right. Thank you very much, Hansi. We, we appreciate it. Uh, you know, we're not we're not looking for any kind of accolades uh, for doing this show. I think that we're talking about 
you know, I'm not watching this show like a typical wrestling show. Like it, it seems uh, kind of silly to be grading it uh, and looking at it as we traditionally do. But I think that these shows are very important to cover and have shows uh, like this. Um, yeah. And, and talk about these subjects because, you know, as I alluded to Will, like I, I can see there being a, a lot of these kinds of deals potentially that the WWE could be entering, like working with governments of, you know, areas that are going to present conflicts and are going to present these questions. And we, we circle back to performers that are deciding to do these shows or in the case, not doing these shows. And I, I kind of look at it at the fact of like what, what your personal beliefs are that would you be doing said actions if there was, if there was no money involved. And that's when you, I think really do see people's um, genuine motivations when uh, if there is money involved, will that alter what you're what your sincere beliefs are. Uh, you know, I, th- I think we all have different beliefs and as outlined, like there are people that have larger voices than others that are going to be willing to step up. Not everyone is Daniel Bryan and has that ability to say no to it. And like, I, like I find that, that very, like it's very difficult to kind of just uh, paintbrush and look at the performer side of, of things. But when, when you have something like a job, I'm rambling here, but I think that for those that opt not to do this show, when there's a lot of ways that they can convince themselves that it's it's just another show to do it, and they still go against that and don't do it, I, I really applaud those people. Let's go back to the lines. David, you're on. Hey, guys. David from Israel here. Hey, hey David. David. Yeah, so I just wanted to chime in because I think being from Israel, I have an interesting perspective on this with the whole Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Mm-hmm. A lot of time when uh, major uh, artists, like musicians or stuff, come to Israel, they get major international pressure not to come, the whole BDS movement. So what I basically want to say is I think the difference here, personally, I, I really detested this show. And uh, I think the difference here is WWE is not going for the Saudi people, for their Saudi fans. They're going for the Saudi government. This is a state government-funded show. They're not playing for their fans. So by making a government-funded show, you're basically uh, making it a not legitimate. You're, make, you're making yourself open for, for basically criticism about your practices. You're basically enabling, enabling uh, the Saudis and their, and their uh, actions. If someone comes, from, for example, to Israel, for me as a, as a citizen, uh, I want them to come because I'm not – attached to the, my government's actions. So I feel for the Saudi people who are getting shafted in all of this conversation because, because I'm sure there's real WWE fans over there that want to enjoy the product and they're getting grouped in with their government and they're not really responsible for their actions, you know? Yeah, no, and it's uh, completely... Like, again, we go back to, to the video that Waze referenced a few times with, like, the, the women and children. And again, it's like, I, I don't think anyone would... Uh, contradict the sincerity of those those voices of these children that were clearly having a great time at this show it is what what is the the motive of putting such a video on there and you can tend to be cynical about that but yeah i i don't think anyone comes out here and says that uh these these fans don't deserve to be able to go to a wrestling show it's the fact of like what what this deal actually entails and and you outlined it exactly let me ask yeah you. for sure 
Let me ask you, David, you know, let's say uh, yeah. if, if the shows continue to be presented in a way like we saw today or at Crown Jewel where, you know, um, maybe some of the more overt forms of, uh, you know, Saudi pro- uh, propaganda perhaps are not seen. How, how would you would you be more uh, able to accept this deal or not? I don't think I will be ever really able to accept this deal. I just I think it's really uh, apprehensible. I, it's really disgusting to me. I just can't like really come to terms with it, especially um, like I think let's say next show they have a match with the woman. What kind of really change does that make? What a positive change does it make to the for the people in Saudi Arabia? It doesn't make any change. And then WWE will go on uh, hyping it as a real uh, revolution and uh, hope and stuff. And it's not it doesn't really do anything like. Like uh, Zidane said, it doesn't really do anything for the Saudi people who are getting killed. And uh, the people in Yemen and WWE are basically like allowing them a platform to spread their their propaganda and say to the world, this is okay. Look at our great democracy. And if someone watching from the side and hearing all of these stories about Saudi Arabia and then seeing WWE saying, look how great it is. It's really insulting to me and my intelligence and I know, like, like just like you said, when I saw the video of the children and the and the woman, I and I couldn't help but feel cynical. I couldn't help but feel the WWE is like showing us how great it is, but it, it's it's sad to me because I'm sure those people are really enjoying it. But you can't help but feel this is like a brainwashing attempt by WWE and the Saudi Arabia government. Yeah, and I think it'll be also worth worth asking. Like it seems going into this show that you had, like I really don't sense that there is that. And I'm sure it does exist, but I really have seen very little of it in terms of people that um, just want this to be another wrestling show and not hear all of like this kind of uh, subjects being raised. Is that going to change three or four shows down down the line if there is not some uh, large international incident that's attached to it? Well, I think watching professional wrestling, it's important to have conversations like this. Wrestling by its nature is about deception, especially when the WWE's form of it. So I think it's always important to know what we're watching and how we're being manipulated, but especially for this set of shows. Anything else on your mind, David? Uh, Just one last thing. I really want to say I really enjoyed your conversation with Don and this whole show. I really appreciate how you brought to light this like difficult subject. It's not really comfortable for all the time to talk about stuff like this. It's much easier to just talk about the wrestling show and be done with it. But we can't ignore the fact that this is more than a normal wrestling show. This is something that needs to be discussed in an adult way. And we should have these conversations. I'm really happy that folks can have these adult conversations in this matter. And I'm just, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation and talking with you guys. Thank you very much for the call, David. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Thank you guys. Take care. Um, uh, before we go to the next caller, I would he- heavily recommend uh, going to listen to the last edition of WrestleNomics Radio because yes. uh, uh, Brandon Thurston, who's been a guest on the show many times, did a tremendous kind of audio documentary outlining the WWE's relationship uh, with the with Saudi Arabia since this deal was announced last January, looking at its history, pulling some great sound clips that really kind of... Um, I thought it was really effectively put together where you're hearing the, it's not just Brandon simply reciting all of this. It's you get to hear for yourself, the WWE's response to the mm-hmm. Hashoji murder and can, and just a really great piece. Done. And in my opinion, done in a pretty like, you know, impartial way, just kind of laying out all the facts for you to kind of make your own minds up about. Uh, we go to our next caller. Hey there, you're with John and way. Hey, how are you? 
Josh from New York. How are you doing? Hi, Josh. Hey. Um. So I just finished watching the show, man. What a what a train wreck. What a train wreck that show was. What stood out to you? But um, I'm sorry. What stood out to you? What was the most train wrecky part? Oh boy, it had to be the the main event. The main event was just terrible, man. Um. Does anybody know what really happened to Goldberg? Why he bled so much? We're not exactly sure. So we were going right on the, the air, like as soon as the match ended. So uh, I don't have any update yet on what exactly happened, other than you know, obviously he was like busted right open, and then that kind of the match fell apart after that. Yeah, that was just terrible. I think he couldn't even think after he took that bump. It was just terrible. Like he just ran into the turnbuckle full force, and he didn't even want to stop. <laughs> Any other uh, thoughts on the show? Yeah. Um, what do you feel about Mansoor winning the greatest, the world, the Royal Rumble? Uh, you mean the uh, 50 man battle Royal? Yeah. But, uh, I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> listen, like we've seen, like, again, this is wrestling booking one one. You know, we've seen it in the past. Like uh, we, we, John and I, like a year ago, we reviewed this, uh, the, the 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 UK show where the British Bulldog won the Royal Samovar Trophy in this very same way. Yeah. Not necessarily a guy who was, you know, really pushed that hard at the time, but, you know, just something to send the crowd home happy. I look at Mansoor as sort of just... Creating a star for, for these Saudi Arabian shows. Yes. Like, if yeah. anything, a, a tool for them to use for these set of shows much like the british bulldog was a tool for the uk audience or bret hart or george st pierre are used as a tool for the canadian audience it's he's he's a he's a character yeah and uh one more question do you guys think that he will get pushed in the main roster well that's what we we're trying trying to discuss i mean i think if he's a talent they will push him whether or not they will promote him as sort of like you know this like uh representative of, of the kingdom of saudi arabia i I yeah. don't think so, uh, at least not in the near future while tensions are still quite hot. Um, but if he's a talented wrestler, I I, I think they can. Yeah. yeah, I've seen him in NXT. He's not too bad. I think he still needs to work on a couple of things there. But um, he's not actually a terrible wrestler. No, he has so, like experience. Uh, it's not like he was starting from he's scratch. He's charismatic, last year. Yeah. too. He's done yeah. stuff with Hood yeah. Slam. Like he's, he has an independent background. Yeah, All right. he's actually really good. All right. Thanks a lot for the call, Josh. No problem. Have a great day. You too. Um, once again, those numbers, if you do want to call in before we uh, we yeah. wrap things up, 732-800-4423 or Skype in post-wrestling. Yeah, very interested to hear a, a lot of your thoughts, especially those of you uh, who don't normally tune in for our uh, live feeds. So, um, How are we doing with the live feed? We're doing well. It was very healthy. We had some uh, technical issues here from the post office, but uh, we're up. Very minor. Running. Very minor. Very minor. Um, is that it for feedback on, on the board for now? Uh, I believe so, but well, uh, we have a call coming in. Here, okay. So yes, we do. Let's go to, I believe this is Chris Thunder from Down Under. Am I right? Good day, guys. How are you going? What, what time is it right now where you are? Uh, just on 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Wow. These time zones just blow my mind. 10 a.m. Uh, did you watch the show, Chris? No, I did not. Well, you did not miss much of a show. That is a fact. Do you have any thoughts that you'd like to add to the conversation? Um, Just a couple, if I could, if you have time. Absolutely. Of course. Um, So I find it weird that two years ago at WrestleMania, Finn Balor comes out with um a lot of the pride community, for lack of a better word, and um goes 
ballot clubs for everyone. And then a month later, he's in a country where they have a very, for lack of a better word, outdated view on that community. And, and got criticism for not wearing the shirt for the Greatest Royal Rumble last year, which I believe he said the shirt was a limited run. And, you know, it was all this, yeah. okay, whatever. And watching today, it was like, had he just come out with as the demon last year? He wouldn't have gotten any criticism over it that he wouldn't have had the T-shirt <laughs> on. True. But uh, that's what I thought of today. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, it was kind of a, an eye roll response of uh, you know his uh, limited run T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, you are going to find a lot of hypocrisy when it comes to uh, certain elements uh, when it comes to the performers, and I mean, th- just this this deal in and of itself. I think that that's one of them, and we could probably go through a laundry list of them. I just find it weird that, like, in any other workplace, if you were dis- to discriminate someone on gender or race or ethnicity, in the case of Sami Zayn, you'd be, well, in Australia, you'd be taken to court because it's discrimination. But because they're wrestling, they can go, oh, no, you can't come over here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I imagine this to be a bit more of a complex issue simply because you're, we're dealing with a, a, a whole entirely different culture with uh, a religion attached to it. Um, um, you know, if you ask the WWE, I think the corporate line is that we are going there to at least facilitate the conversation to promote change. Now, you know, again, we, we Kareem's thoughts, I thought, you know, very much kind of lined out about how that might be bullshit. Um I don't know what the true answer is. You know, I don't, I don't know if I'm smart enough to be able to kind of at this point determine what's right or what's not, what their true intentions are. But we do know that there's a great deal of money being exchanged between the, the two companies for, uh, in addition to whatever change they might be trying to promote. And I don't think we can ignore that fact of the whole thing. Yep. Um, if you've got time, I've just got two more points I'd like to address. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so they say they want to promote change in the country and I'm yet really to see any change. They've had Mariah Carey's performed in the country as a woman and there's no women performance on this, um, this event. But then you look at saying like AEW in their first event and they're promoting to people with different needs with that. Um, I can't remember the, the, the right cult- culture that, city. Um, with, yeah. With the, um, sensory inclusive rooms. Yes. Yes, yes, that's it. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, then, th- thus um, far, it's like, um, it's, <laughs> what, I mean, it's a stark contrast. Yeah. Yeah. What? Sorry, I don't really understand the comparison. What, what did you mean? Just like WE is talking about making change, whereas AEW in their very first event has gone out and made right. a big change to the wrestling community. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think also what AEW seems... The thing is, it's like, it's hard for, for me not to, like, be cynical whenever a company is saying these things. Because, you know, I I don't know how much money, like, is, is being attached to all of these lines. Even AEW saying that they are for everybody. I think, you know, the cynical side of me feels like that might be for a, a, a publicity. It might be a branding effort. But um, I think change, the best the best way for me to, like, accept change is, is, is for to just see it happen without necessarily it be pro- being promoted anywhere. I think, and, and let's and let's be honest: how many wrestling companies would legitimately walk away from it from a deal like the WWE has entered? The WWE is one no. is the, is the only one I would argue and, that could and not. I mean, it's endeavor did. 
Well, I was talking wrestling companies, but yeah. Endeavor would be the one that, you know, they, they walked away from a $400 million investment and mm. it was not just something where you snap your fingers and, and walk away from something like that. Um, We're getting but, back to AEW. I think, you know, the idea that Nyla Rose is one of their, you know, uh, female talent and you, on that broadcast, I don't believe you heard once, you know, like that she is a transgendered woman. Um, the fact that that's not being promoted to me says a whole lot more about maybe where their stance is versus, I think, you know, being able to publicize the first women's match in Saudi Arabia or something like that. Yeah. And, and I think it just becomes very difficult when on Thursday night, the, the WWE is promoting, you know, Sonya Deville appearing at uh, an event for, for Glad. I believe there was some award involved. And then, I mean, today you're doing this show where same-sex relations are, are criminalized in the country. I mean, that that's kind of the, the mixed messaging you get. I mean, we go to Crown Jewel and... Shane McMahon is promoting his wife's new movie about a journalist that, that was killed. I mean, it's just at times like this is thrown in your face and it's it's really impossible to to separate the the messaging that comes from the company. That I, I and I want to say, like, I don't believe for a second the WWE is on board with what's happening, but they're accepting of it. It's if it was their call, I believe women would absolutely be on this show. I don't think that's a question in the world. Yeah. But ultimately, they are entering a deal where that that is one of one of many restrictions that they have that Sami Zayn is not on these shows and they are entering that and they're benefiting from it they're financially benefiting from that and i think they have to be ultimately they have to face that scrutiny they aren't just necessarily partnering with them but they're also in a deal where i mean the intent is for them to help make the hosting country look like they are a modern country whose civil rights potentially are to be ignored yeah and that's the issue mm -hmm. anything else chris um just one last thing before i leave with the women not being able to appear on this show and receive a big payday is wwe financially compensating them in any way with the additional pay for not appearing i don't know i don't know um yeah, it's it was a okay. question that that was that came up through the last one, and um, I, I can't remember the details off the top of my head, but um, that's certainly going to be a question that I think is asked about the women that you know did not have any live events this weekend and therefore had a weekend off. Thanks, Chris, for the call. Thanks for everything, guys. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Take care. All right. Well, we have been going for about two hours here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. You know, uh, this is something you and I are going to have to basically, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're going to be a part of this whole thing for the next 10 years, as long as the WWE is going to be a part of it. So um, I'm happy to have conversations like this whenever whenever it comes up. Yeah, yeah. I, and, I almost... And beyond, and even beyond that. I agree, because I feel that it's it's almost like that we don't focus enough on it until it's time for one of these shows. Yeah. And I think it's something that I, I think that I kind of weigh too, of how much people want to hear about, you know, elements of this when it's not directly tied to WWE. It's the week of one of these shows mm -hmm. um, as well. But I, I think that these are very important shows to do to discuss these topics um, because there may be way more of it. Um, you know, you, I really encourage you to follow uh, Kareem's work because this is, like this is his beat and he follows a lot of it. It is primarily in mixed martial arts, but um, has also written about th this very show. Him and David Bixenspan did a story together last year for Deadspin ahead of this show. 
And Will Cooling as well. Will Cooling as well. Extremely knowledgeable voice when it comes yeah, to Yeah, someone that I've wanted to have on for, for a long time. I'm a big yes. fan of his work. So it was great to have both uh, Kareem and Will on yeah. the show. So, so again, at Zidan Sports, Z I D A N Sports, and also at Will Cooling, W I L L C O O L I N G. Perfect. All right, that's going to wrap up the show. Uh, coming up this weekend, just a quick uh, run through of our schedule. Saturday morning, it's the return of Cruel Summer as. WH Park is going to be joined by Damon McDonald from the Super J cast. They're going to be going over the finals of the 1993 G1. And then Sunday morning, he's going through the 1994 final along with Mavs Gillis. So those damn, will... damn, you're good off the top of your head. I know. I was kind of uh, putting them out. I, I write them out. So it's usually I write them out and then it's stuck in my head for a solid week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturday night, I'm going to have a UFC 238 post show with Bill Chair Talk. And then Sunday night, Way is back with me in this very seat uh, for patrons at postwrestlingcafe.com. We'll be reviewing the Dominion card uh, that's happening early Sunday morning. We'll have a show up Sunday night for all patrons. So uh, you can look forward to that. Uh, keep it locked, postwrestling.com. And thank you so much to everyone that listened live. And yeah, everybody in the chat room, thank you guys so much for your uh, interactivity. It's It's been a lot of fun. Perfect. Uh, have a great night, everyone. And we'll speak with you this weekend.